Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome back to Flipping Dreams. This week, I am talking with Michelle Jones. She is the founder, president, and chief academic officer of Wayfinding Academy, a two-year accredited college in Portland, Oregon, that's doing it differently. Instead of focusing on test scores or a traditional academic framework, Wayfinding looks at the student in a more holistic manner so that they can achieve success now and in the future. I hope you enjoy this talk. And again, you are listening to Flipping Dreams. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Heather. Excellent. How are you today? Oh, well, I'm doing really good. Um, I watched your TED Talk and I have lots of questions for you. <laughs> okay. okay, I feel like so much has changed since then. I mean, the, you know, the core idea is still the same, but it's getting more um, nuanced, I think, you know, as we try to figure out how to be an anti-racist college and all of that stuff. So it's, it's like layers are now being added, which is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have so much to dig into. I mean, but let's first start. Um, and if you can tell listeners that aren't familiar with you or your academy, um, how you took the, how you made the transition from teaching to founding and uh, creating this academy that's accredited. Um, like, what was that pivotal moment for you? Um, I've thought about this quite a lot, actually. And I don't, and, and maybe this is true for many people who choose to do something like this. I don't know that there was a, a single moment or even a few moments. It felt to me like it was a culmination of a lot of different experiences over maybe a decade or so. And um, I feel like it started, most of the inspiration for what Wayfinding became came from conversations I was having with colleagues, uh, other faculty members, and with students that were in my classes. And so it just felt like an accumulation over time. When, it finally, when I finally, as a faculty member, was open enough to the idea of starting to ask the question of, you know, what could I be doing differently in my classes? What could I be doing better? How do I better serve students? And I found myself, uh, and I didn't intentionally do this, but I found myself teaching mostly juniors and seniors in college at traditional colleges. And I was the, I was always in teaching in business departments, but I was like, you know, the soft skills person. So I taught the leadership and the organizational behavior and the teamwork courses. And I taught this one course called Passion-Based Leadership. And the idea was figuring out what you want to do with your life and start doing it. And again, for juniors and seniors, people are getting ready to graduate. And the overwhelming thing I heard from students was that they, they found it extraordinarily helpful and they were really angry that it wasn't the beginning of their college experience because they felt like they would have made different choices along the way. So, yeah. And, and, you know, soft skills are hard skills. Like people don't, <laughs> right. people don't realize, like, um, those are some of the most critical things that if you don't learn those early on, you are learn hopefully learning them through leadership programs and such in your job or your, you know, your world after college. But, um, to get something like that early on is like amazing. That would be just so beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of the conversations at first, first starting with students naturally turned to, and I started with my course of like, okay, let's pause. Let's think, let's look at how the course is running. What would you change? What do you want to do differently? How could, how could we better make this work for everybody? Students always had great ideas. And so then we would start, the conversation would evolve to, okay, 
this college that we're all at, if you could change things, what would you change? What would you do differently? And then the, it would evolve to, okay, the whole education system, if you could do it differently, what would you do differently? And after having, I mean, dozens and dozens of those conversations, I, it, I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't just keep doing what I had been doing and I couldn't keep making very small changes. And so it's now, I guess, about five years ago that I decided, okay, I am, I'm going to stop being a faculty member and I'm going to start my own college, which is a crazy thing to do. Um, it's, it still feels that way a little bit. Um, although now we've got a little bit more stability. We've been operating for four years. We're about to have our third graduation in less than a month. And so it's, I've, we've definitely learned a lot and we've evolved during this time, but um, it definitely felt like the right thing to do. We just need whole new models of college and we need to reevaluate the way we're doing education and what we tell, what we tell young adults about how to live a life uh, of purpose. Absolutely. And first of all, congratulations, because that's a huge accomplishment. And uh, I'm so excited for your soon to be alumni and what they're going to do in the world. Um, but also, like, what surprised me listening to your talk about statistics on, um, like, our traditional model, like what we tell students, including me, as you know, uh, that only was it only 33% actually graduate college? Uh, it's yeah, it's only 33% of Americans have a college degree. Have, yeah, that which really but surprised not, me. But. Me too. That was and I didn't I mean, as somebody who I also was told, oh, no, you know, you should go to college. I'm the oldest of four children. It was never a question of whether I do that or not. Um, and and then, you know, I went straight from college to graduate school and straight from graduate school to being a professor. So I never even left higher education from the time I stepped foot in it. And it never even it never even occurred to me to ask that question until I started getting ready to start wayfinding. And, and I, and I started thinking about all the people I knew in my life, um, my partner, my sister, all these people I know in my life, my, my mom who don't have a college degree. And I was thinking, you know, I don't, I'm not so sure that it's as, you know, it's this huge, great thing that everybody says it is. And so I looked up the statistics and it's 33% of Americans. And yet we treat people who don't have a college degree like there's something wrong with them. And it's, it's a flaw in our whole narrative, I think. And we still have to grapple with the idea that, especially for communities of color, getting a college degree um, is the best option to having a job stability and job security. And we're seeing that a lot right now during the COVID pandemic, um, that people who have a college degree or that network that a college degree or being in a college affords you um, is helping them be a little bit more resilient, finding a different job, finding a new job, being able to work from home right now. Um, so there are, there are real implications in terms of that, in terms of health and security and safety. And we definitely stigmatize people who don't have college degrees. And I don't know that that's helping us as a society. In fact, I would say it's harming us. True. And I feel like, um, part of what I wanted to tap into a little bit as we discuss your curriculum is this idea of like turning life learning into, you know, mm -hmm. credits, like, like actually incentivizing rather than doing a traditional template of core classes that, you know, are just mandated <laughs> that may or may not help. Uh, but actually pointing to a curriculum that will, really cultivate the skills and the knowledge that will help students come out and actually really like connect with their world with others and actually like very quickly assimilate and make changes um one of the things that so i went to city university of new york and i mm -hmm. made a self-directed degree but most right. of my courses were through the interdisciplinary studies program, which is now a degree, a degreed program. Like you can actually major in this. But when I was going to, I was at a John Jay college and um, doing the program and as many core classes as I could take in these, in this program, I would do because they were taught by three or four professors. It was all through um, communicating, speaking and writing 
ideas and it was all this like multidisciplinary approach to issues in our world. And it absolutely transformed my college experience and how I was able to listen to other people's stories and learn and just become a more well-rounded person and be able to take action and and see things in a different way. And I think that that is the important thing with college, right? right ideally, right. ideally, we want someone to go to college because it's going to make them a better, more well-rounded person. But if we're not doing that and we're just saddling people with debt, then that's kind of a problem. Like, right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. And I think what you're describing, um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, I mean, it sounds like it was a challenge a bit to create your own self-directed program uh, when you were in college. I'm glad to hear that they've made that a, an easier path for a lot of students now because I agree with you. And I think um, it, it seems like that's, if people sort of pause and reflect and think about what is the purpose of education, what you just described, I think most of us would say that's the purpose of education, um, higher education and K-12, but especially when you get to the higher education realm. And so few colleges operate that way. So very few operate that way. Or there's, you know, one specific major, or you have to really fight to make your own self-directed degree or something. They just, they put up barriers for it, I think. Yeah, you can only fit so many credits of this right. other stuff in, in with the mandated um, courses. And like some of the courses when I was looking through your curriculum of like understanding the world, understanding right. ourselves and others, um, engaging with information and uh, futures and citizenship. I mean, just right. absolutely fascinating topics, areas that you're not just like doing one course in, but you're really doing a deep dive right. as like a more holistic approach. So tell me about how, how did you come up with this besides like conversations with students and like other faculty, I guess. Yeah, conversations was where it started, but actually coming up, and I, at some point we will start making changes to the, curric the core curriculum, those core classes. Um, way all wayfinding students take the same nine core classes. We do uh, mandate those nine classes, but um, it's not, it's very different from most colleges in that they all do take those classes, but they have, total freedom within those classes to create projects that tie in their own personal areas of interests and they put projects in portfolios. Like we don't have textbooks or tests or grades or anything like that. So, you know, within the broad framework of, let's say, understanding our world, they get to weave in their own personal areas of interest. Um, so believe it or not, coming up with the core curriculum was very easy. I mean, the conversation was basically like, okay, when we look to the future and we want to prepare young adults for being um, contributing members of society, knowing who they are and knowing what they want to contribute to their communities and finding a way to tie those two things together, um, what do they need to know? That was literally the question we asked. And that's how all of the courses came to be. So some of them are a little bit more um, narrowly focused, like, uh, like, science, technology, and society, where, I mean, that's pretty broad, granted, but, um, but it is about those topics, right? Uh, and then you have really broad-based uh, things like the, the final course that students take. So we have students taking it right now. They've got two weeks left. It's called The Good Life, and it's their final capstone course where they are taking everything they've been thinking about and learning about during their two years here and they're trying to put it into a personal life plan that prepares them to take their next steps. And we promise our, all of our students that by the time they graduate, they'll know what they wanna do next and we work with them through two years to do that. So they all, they all know what they wanna do next in general, but this course helps them bring that all together, figure out where they get their vitality from, where they can make the most difference that's in alignment with their values and take, figure out what their immediate next steps should be towards that. And so that one's a much broader, you know, like a broader scope of information is covered in a course like that, sure. um, but they're all interdisciplinary. I, I just, I love, I mean, this is just so in my wheelhouse. I love all of this. Um, and I particularly like the, the idea that you, they actually really have a guide. They really yeah. have a mentor that they meet with weekly, not right. this like guide that they meet beginning at the end, maybe 15 minutes of their college career, which is really insane when you think about this, Right. which like I had a mentor, a professor mentor who I loved that 
like I sought out and was able to get the guidance I needed through my, you know, bachelor four year program, um, which most of that was in that interdisciplinary studies like realm, but, um, but it wasn't something offered. She's no, not, I, I she had wasn't the same. Yeah. yeah. I had the same experience. I did the same thing you did. Yeah. It wasn't offered. I had to find that myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really hard when you're at a, a college, especially the larger the school, the harder mm -hmm. it is to get those resources or have access to those people who are willing or have the time to be able to give you like really good advice and good guidance. So, um, and especially for, I'd say, um, first generation college students who don't understand how to navigate a higher education system, it's not necessarily going to occur to them oh, I can do that. I can go meet my faculty member. I, oh, they have office hours or, oh, this is how I do this. Um, and so I think a lot of first generation students and low income students and definitely students of color who maybe don't see themselves reflected in their faculty and definitely not in their advisors very often, just they don't even like that's a whole thing that's not it's not even a consideration for them. They don't even yeah. know to think about doing that. And I think taking, um, again, that more holistic approach of seeing the student as a full student, as someone who has life experience, cultural experiences, right. like a, like they're coming into the school to learn, but they're also there to teach as well in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're like really investing in pulling those things out because I think also depending on the age or the experience of a student with higher learning, they're not necessarily going to know that this experience in a bucket over here could actually help them achieve this goal over here. They're not going to connect the dots as easily unless they're working right. with someone that's outside looking in saying, Hey, what about doing a project like this? What about this? You love this thing that you don't think you can do, but you can. And like, yeah. and so, um, I, I just, I think that is like a winning, just such a winning formula. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the guides program, it's unlike anything I've ever seen at any other college. It maybe is, I mean, we have a lot of uniquenesses to wayfinding, but I think it might be the most unique um, because students get three credits every term for their six terms they're with us for just working with their guide and building their portfolio and doing that kind of work. And I like to think, well, two things. I think being a guide is the hardest job we have at wayfinding uh, for a multitude of reasons. They are asked to carry a lot and show up a lot for their students, and they're often not given the the gratitude and the respect that they deserve for everything that they put into that. And I like to think of the guide role as sort of the, the keeper of the story of the student, because you're meeting this person at the beginning of their wayfinding journey, and you know them for the entire two years, and a lot's going to come up during that time. And I know just as a human who's trying to navigate the world, I say things and I have a hard time tracking my own personal path and my own interests. And I have a hard time connecting the dots for myself. And I spend a lot of time trying to do it, but having another person who kind of keeps that story for you and keeps those threads and like holds on to threads when you mention something important and can bring it back into a conversation and remind you at a really important time. Um, I think that that's hu of huge value. And so I, yeah, I think the students are very lucky to have those people in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when you're in the weeds, it's really hard to look up and, and just to see the whole landscape. Like you right. can't, um, so having that partner that's invested in you, that you know, that you can count on and, and that um, you can, that helps hold you accountable, but right. you also know that they're, that they're there for you, that it's, it's, it's a two way street. Um, that is really cool. I, I, so, um, we, we kind of, you know, have touched on this a little bit, but it is just for listeners. It is a two year Academy. Um, it's accredited. It's in Portland, Oregon, where I was born. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, so who, who is this for? Because for instance, um, I was a very non-traditional student. I was a ballet dancer as my first career. And so I actually didn't get my bachelor's till I was 36. Um, and so part of why I really, really enjoyed that interdisciplinary studies program, because I was able to, uh, really feel like I could be, I could bring more of my life experiences to the table. Um, and they would be appreciated, um, is wayfinding something that is for not just younger students coming out of high school, but also maybe people that are adults that are looking at switching their focus or changing their career, changing their life. Yeah. I mean, it, technically it can be for anybody. 
what we've seen so far, so again, we've been doing this, we've been in operations with students for four years, and we are about to graduate our third cohort of students. So um, we've seen some patterns, but we, I think over time, we'll see even more patterns. And what we've seen so far is that um, wayfinding is really good for people who know they don't want to do a traditional college experience, but they want to go to college. And so the way that they know traditional colleges or the higher education industrial complex is not for them varies. So some of them, for a long time, our most common denominator among our students was that they have tried going to a college and they have left and they didn't know what to do next. And so then they learn about us and then they come to Wayfinding. That has changed a little bit in the last, I'd say, year and a half or so. And now we're finding, especially very most recently, we've got more people coming straight out of high school. And they're somehow figuring out during high school that going to a traditional college is not for them. Maybe it's because they've seen an older sibling do it. Um, maybe it's because they dropped out of high school and they're going to, through a GED program now because they know that the whole education system is not for them. But they still love learning and they want to be part of a learning community. So I'd say that those are the people that Wayfinding is best for. Our average age of students when they start the program with us is between 22 and 23 years old. So they're not on average coming straight out of high school. We have had several students who have been in their late 20s and 30s. And um, I think we had one, no, I guess, I guess when they started, they were not, they were 39 or something like that. So I can't say they were in their 40s. Um, and, and that works too. Uh, so our, as long as everybody understands that, the, that we do value that wide range of lived experience. And we ask, we invite everybody to bring their lived experience, which includes, you know, if you're an 18 year old person, um, you've probably also done and seen a lot though. So bringing in all of those kinds of um, respect for that. Uh, about a year ago, we started a, a separate program, which we call Life Finding because we heard from a lot of adults who were wanting to transition careers or change course in, the, in their you know, midlife time or prepare for a retirement on purpose or something like that. Um, we heard from a lot of them that they wished that Wayfinding was around when they went to college and they really wanted something like that. And so we started the Life Finding program. So we now do have a specific program that doesn't grant a degree. It's not a two-year commitment. It's, it tends to be somewhere between... Um, an eight and a 12 week commitment. And those folks also get a guide. They basically get a Wayfinding 101 mashup with the Good Life course and they get a guide. And they, our first time, first two times running it through, it was in person here at our campus. So there was an intergenerational learning opportunity there because they'd be in the same building, having the same lunch breaks as our traditional age students. And um, they would, you know, invite each other to presentations that they were doing and things like that. And so that's been great. We did recently try to put it online because of COVID and um, there wasn't a whole lot of interest. There's a lot of power of doing it in person and being in that space together. So I think we're going to try it again for the fall and see if there's because there's a lot more people in career transition now, too, I guess. Absolutely. And the thing is, there is so much power um, being able to uh, sit in on courses that where there was like a 20 year or 15 or 20 year age gap yeah. with other, you know, other students and like just the vernacular and the experiences and the just learning to listen in exchange. And it's so powerful because I think it really breaks down this idea, this kind of generational curse that we have that we think, you know, once we get to a certain age, we can't go back and learn or whatever. Like, I, I just think it's silly. I think that everyone can learn from each other. And I, I think when you do that, you're bringing more voices to the table. You're bringing more experience and learning and, um, and just different perspectives, which I think we really need, especially as we get older, we need to see things with different, with a fresh perspective. Um, Absolutely. And, and as much as we also have like our wisdom to pass on as well. So it, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the power is because so most of I'm 43 now and most of our faculty and staff are approximately my age, give or take. Um, and we learn so much from the students. I, I don't think they understand how, 
how much, you know, over on the side, we're like, oh my gosh, you know what I learned from so-and-so today and all this stuff. And I think right now, especially as we're watching the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests, and those are being led by young adults. I mean, they're being led by, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, early 20s. And um, there's wisdom in that age. They, they understand things that I think um, people my age and my generation just never had to think about or deal with. And I think, I think we would be better off as a society, as local communities for sure, but probably also as a country, if we let them be in charge for a while in terms of we follow them. Like we kind of get behind them. We follow them. We provide them with the support. We provide them with cheering on. And when appropriate, we insert the wisdom that we've accumulated over years of living or access to resources or things that we happen to have read or seen or watched or experts we know just because we've been around longer. Um, but I feel like our, the time right now is like, it's our role to let them be in front and for us to provide this like the support network. And it's hard to figure out how to do that. But I think I've tried to hire a, a team of guides and a team of faculty and a team, a staff team here at Wayfinding who have that philosophy and who have that ethos. Um, and I think, I hope that our students can feel that and feel that way. Yeah. And it's, it's a sense of empowerment, right? Because, right. you know, if we're allowing the younger generations to to figure it out, to forge ahead, yet knowing that we're behind them supporting or we're there to fall back on or or give feedback, um, but, but knowing that they have more power to make choices, to make change, um, and, and to really explore that. I think that, that um, that's something that is definitely a shift from this kind of top-down, uh, mm -hmm. you know, dissemination of information versus just really ha coming at it from a different approach, more ga grassroots, organic, um, fresh, you know, and again, like a fresh perspective. Um, and, and certainly, you know, we don't expect, we don't, no one knows anything a hundred percent, right? Like, you know, and, and this idea that, um, I think like growing up, it was like, you have to do things right. You have to be perfect. You have to figure it out and do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe we're opening up a little bit more to be like, no, you just need to do the thing. Like <laughs> just right. find the support and do the thing. And it's, and actually if you fall on your face, you're going to learn a lot from that and we're going to pick you up and then we're going to figure it, dust you off and figure out a new direction. But like, um, this idea of not being afraid of letting go of perfectionism and having more of a community sense of working together, I think mm -hmm. are all like these themes that are coming up right now, which is really, yeah. really exciting. We, we sometimes like to say that we provide a controlled failure environment. So we give students lots and lots of opportunities to try something and, and it's not gonna be perfect. And like we try, they try it and it doesn't go the way they thought. And then they try another thing and so forth with no judgment and no, there's nothing bad that happens to them. They don't fail a class. They don't get a bad grade. They don't, you know, nothing bad happens when that happens. So I love that. Um, yeah. Sarah Blakely of Spanx says that oh, in yeah. what that her father was like, what did you fail at today? Like mm. that was this question every day, like an, an encouraging question, not yeah. in a bad way. Like, okay, great. Cool. Good yeah. job. Well done. Good for trying. Cause if one you're of, trying, you know? Yeah. yeah. One of the ways that I, um, like, mm, built that into the model is with internships. I think a lot of college programs uh, ha require students to do an internship for graduation, but we require them to do two because I know from my experience, and I, I think once upon a time I taught one internship class, and I know that when you, your first one is going to be a disaster, almost certainly. I mean, the odds are very high that you picked a thing that you think you're interested in, but you really, it turns out you're not. Or you picked a thing that you really are interested in, but you realized, oh, wow, I have a huge knowledge gap of where I am and where I need to be to do that kind of work. So the vast majority of first internships for students are not super great. I mean, maybe they get a job offer from it because they're, you know, they're very good and, and they're good at what they do, but, um, they, prop, they might find that it's not the thing they want or it's not the right time or whatever. So we have all of our students do two internships so that whatever they can learn from that first one, they can then implement for their second one. And a lot of our students have chosen for their second internship 
to do, to do an independent study, basically, to design their own project, find mentors out in the community, because they want to combine three or four different areas of interest into one project, and they work on that for three months or something like that. So we provide the support, you know, connections to mentors if they need it, but the support in designing that project for them and so forth. That's fantastic. So, and do you feel, I mean, I assume because Portland is such a great community, um, but uh, do you have really good community partners and, and people that you work with? We do. And we actually, uh, I, you know, when I started a co- nobody else had started a college. Like this is not, a, I didn't like read a book, like how to start a college 101, right? I had to kind of um, make a lot of it up as I went. And if I were to do it again, I would probably do a few things differently. But one thing I wouldn't do differently is that at the very beginning, so now I guess about six years ago, one of the early decisions we had to make was how are we going to fund this thing? How are we going to get the financial resources we need to start a college from scratch? And I was getting two different sets of advice, one of which was we'll find some wealthy investors who will want to invest in this model and do that kind of a thing. And then the other set of advice was uh, basically run it as a crowdfunding campaign and get lots and lots and lots and lots of people to invest in it at very small amounts and use that as the foundation. And so I went with that. I went with the community investment model. And so we ended up, we did a crowdfunding campaign. We raised a little over $200,000 from over 700 people. And it was, it was the, still is, I think the largest Indiegogo fundraising campaign in Oregon history. And I wouldn't do that differently because that gave us that foundation of support that we need and those people, those donors were from all over the world and they still, many, many of those people still remain involved to this day at what we're doing now. And we expanded it. So we're, we're a nonprofit college. Most colleges are nonprofit. A lot of them though get funding from large foundations or the state or something like that. Our financial model's a little bit unique since we wanted it to match our values. So it's only about half of our revenue each year comes from tuition. We keep tuition very low. It's only $11,000 for students. And we now have, which we can talk about if we want to, we now have a, an initiative to provide free tuition for some students. And so only half of our revenue comes from that. The other half of the revenue comes from donations, the vast majority of which are from our, what we call our luminaries. So these are people who give a monthly donation anywhere from $5 a month to, uh, I think we have somebody who gives almost $350 a month and everything in between. And those people, we have 120 or so of them, those people are sort of our continuous foundation support. uh, And they also opt in, when they opt into being a luminary, they also opt in to sort of Uh, being involved in the student's experience. So we have a database of these people. They are mentors. They host internships. They come be guest speakers. They show up to celebrate graduation. Um, When a student, we just had a student a few weeks ago, she's really interested in music production and wanted to connect with somebody. And so we said, well, take a look at our list of our luminaries. Do any of them interest you? And she says, oh, I want to connect with this guy. So we put her in touch with him and now they're going to do an internship together. So it's That's awesome. the community support. Like, I don't know how we would do what we do without the support of the community that we have, not just the financial support, but so many people care so much about wanting to help young adults live purpose-driven lives. And I, I think the ability to bring those people together has been kind of magical to watch. That is so cool. And I love this. This is a recurring theme on the podcast where uh, this community supported change. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple episodes ago, I I interviewed Betsy Lay from Lady Justice Brewing in Colorado, and they have a community supported membership where literally people, they're not in it for the profit, um, but they're in it to make a change for girls and women uh, and organizations that are local in Colorado. So uh, you become a member of the brewery and then you get to help decide where your money goes to these nonprofits, mm-hmm. which is, I just love this idea of people, you know, uh, change through numbers that like, yes, one person can make a change, but like a whole community can make a lot of change. And right. it's just so cool. But, um, I do want to talk about, uh, going back to these, uh, your tuition and 
free program. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So one of the intentional choices we made at the beginning was that we wanted tuition to stay low. Um, initially, we modeled it after the idea that, um, you know, not quite when I went to college, but definitely the generation before me, my parents' generation, when they went to college, they were able to pay for college if they had a summer job or if they worked a part-time job during college, that kind of thing. It was affordable enough that you could put yourself through college in that way and that taking on debt wasn't, wasn't necessary. Um, we have huge issues right now, which we can, is a tangent we can go into if you really want to, about, the college, about college debt and how harmful it is to people, um, especially to communities of color, but especially to black Americans who are more likely to have to take debt to go to college and then don't get paid as much as white Americans do after they graduate from college. And so it's sort of like a perpetuating issue. So mm -hmm. we have succeeded in that tuition's 11,000 a year. So it's 22,000 for the full program. Uh, we always meet students' need. So if a student says, okay, I can, I can make, you know, I can pay 80% of that, but that's all I can afford. I have some family help by whatever. Then we say, great, then that's what we're gonna work with you on. Um, we have a, an amazing chief business officer. She talks to each student and their family if they want individually and she creates a custom payment plan for every single student so i think every single student right now who's enrolled does something different in terms of how they pay so some can pay up front some can pay term by term or month by month or whatever it is she figures out a custom thing and the newest thing that we're doing which we haven't talked a lot about yet um, we want it to be a referral basis it's not a thing that we're going to be doing you know marketing around and things like that but with a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with dismantling systemic racism, one step that we're taking is for Black and Native American students in Oregon uh, who have been disproportionately adversely affected by racist policies in the state of Oregon, we are offering free tuition. Wow. So whether they financially need it or not doesn't matter. They can decline it, I suppose, if they want to. Um, so we've reached out to a lot of our um, educators and counselors and organizations that we have relationships with already here in the state and have let them know that if they know of any young adults for whom wayfinding is a good fit, we're not a good fit for everybody, but for a lot of students we are, and they, they're not going to college or they've dropped out of college or they don't know what they're doing next, to send them our way and we'll have a conversation with them. And if it turns out to be a good fit and they're black or Native American from Oregon, they get free tuition. That's Because we figure, yeah, I, I mean, it, seemed, it is the right thing to do. It is a step towards repairing the racial inequality issue that we have in this country, but specifically in Oregon. Uh, and I think the part of the point will hopefully become, we're a very, 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 very small college operating on a very, very lean budget. And if we can do this, then there's no reason why other colleges that have millions of dollars in an endowment can't also do this. Sure. Like there's no reason that college shouldn't be free for those populations to absolutely. correct some of the to, systemic. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So wow. that's the hope. Um, that is amazing. Um, and I love that you've stepped right up to implement this, right? You know, taking action. Uh, yeah, we made it retroactive. We had a couple of students for whom it... <laughs> A lot of our students don't come from Oregon. I guess I didn't mention that earlier. Um, and how many students do you, do you have? How many students uh, per, uh, I guess, cohort? Per, yeah. Yeah. Our smallest cohort so far has been uh, six, which was mo the most recent one we started. We started a winter cohort, which we had never done before until this past January. Um, they, turns out, started at a very weird time. I mean, they did most of their first term in person, and then we switched to a hybrid um, and Zoom-based uh, learning model. But they, um, so that's been our smallest was six, and our largest cohort so far has been 17. So um, we think our sweet spot for cohort size is probably somewhere between 15 and 20. Uh, we're having to modify a little bit for our fall incoming class because of COVID. Uh, we will be in person. We're probably the only college in Oregon that can, um, you know, stay within all the guidelines of 25 people or fewer in a gathering and still have all of our classes. And we don't have on-campus housing or cafeterias, so we don't have to worry about those things. So it's fairly 
straightforward and easy for us to be able to bring students in person, which is kind of fun. So there's a, a bonus for being smaller. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A surprising bonus, but it totally works out for us. Yeah. In fact, we can have in-person classes right now as well. So we're definitely prepared for the fall, which is a, an interesting bonus. Um, but where was, oh, that most of our students historically haven't come from Oregon. They've come from all over the country. It's about 70% of each cohort come, moves here to Portland to come to wayfinding. Um, wow. That is looking different for our fall cohort because of COVID-19. It seems that we're about to have a, an, the opposite, I guess, maybe 70% or more actually of our students will be from the Pacific Northwest. So wow. we'll, see, we'll see how that changes a little bit or how that changes in the long term for us and what that looks like. Yeah, sure. And do you have a vision um, that you want to keep it at a certain size, keep the academy sort of, I mean, what if you get uh, just an influx of students wanting to attend? Um, yeah. yeah, we, well, we could do multiple things. It would be great if that happens. Um, our, our goal is that in the next uh, 18 months, we want to get to a, a place where we steadily have about 40 to 50 students enrolled at any given time. Um, so that would end up being four cohorts split among, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. So we, um, we're on our way there. We have three cohorts at the moment. And so once we bring in the next fall and winter, we'll be at four cohorts. And so if those can maintain size, uh, with the pandemic, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen with that because we have one large space in our building. Um, we have a single campus building. It has two classroom spaces. Uh, we've created our third classroom space, we've turned our large event hall into a classroom so that we can set tables at socially distant um, spacing. And that is going to be our physical limitation is how many desks we can get that are eight feet apart or more in that room at a time. Um, yeah, yeah. And long term, our vision is that we could do a multitude of things. And we've got um, some people thinking about this right now in terms of what this could look like. Uh, We've always talked about how if this campus gets full to capacity, we could start another location someplace else. Because uh, we understand that a lot of young adults don't have the ability or the desire to leave home to go, you know, to move to Portland, Oregon to go to college. So maybe we would start another small micro campus like this one in New Mexico or in Colorado or in Vermont or wherever it is. And so we could do that. Um, the other thing we're talking about right now, which we'll see if it happens, is partnering with multiple other educational institutions. There's a few colleges here in Oregon that have, or in Portland that have closed recently. And so partnering with some other educational institutions to take over their campus and thus getting us all more space for being able to expand because we all operate in really small physical footprints at the moment. So we're just at the very beginning of that conversation, but that's a possibility as well. That's fantastic. I think, um, like it, it's so critical, like, you know, circling back to this whole discussion of college and whether it's important or whether, you know, I mean, I, I definitely, I'm first generation and my, my parent, um, my father, uh, was definitely a, you know, self-taught, uh, the generation that you just went out there and you figured things out and you owned businesses and you did all of that. Um, and I think that there's, so I've heard, I've grown up with this whole idea of like college is important, but also, is it really that important? Maybe you should just do it on your own, you know? And so I think anyway, my point to this is circling back to be like, I think college is crucial. I think that learning is so important. And I think that you do not understand how to disseminate information in your world and how to relate to other people unless you're actually exposed. I think it's really amazing that you are continuing to provide, you know, a, a resource for folks that they can really still see the importance of a higher education, but for, you know, in a better way, in a way that's going to actually work for them. Yeah. Um, and I think if I could, if I had a magic wand and could change something, I mean, I guess my magic wand was create a different kind of college, you know, but um, I think where the next thing I would choose to impact would be what, what we talk to students about in high school, because I think it is possible that given the right high school environment, 
um, or, and, or, and I think you get it a lot in homeschooling environments or unschooling environments where you get that critical thinking and you get the ability to disseminate information and make sense of things in a holistic way. Um, but I would, I would want, I wish the conversation would start there in high school with young adults to really talk about what do you care about? What are your passions? What do you, what do you think you want to do with your life? What's the best path to get you to there from here? And because right now we send them all to, we tell everybody they should go to college, but that is not the right choice for a lot of people, depending on what they want to do. And I, I think it, in the TEDx talk, I talk about the dropout rate, which is really high. I mean, it's like 40% of people who start college finish college. It's not a lot. And most people, 70% or more, have to take on debt to go in the first place. So now they dropped out of college and they have debt and they feel like a failure and they feel shame and like all of that could be avoided. Mm -hmm. So I wish that in high schools, they, there was the conversation about, well, you know, what do you really want to do with your life? And, and then helped those young adults who don't maybe have all the information and don't know all their options, make really informed intentional choices about what to do after high school. Because it might be that they should go to a four-year college because they want to be a dentist and they know that for certain and that is their best path to get there and they can go straight for that and, all of, and so forth. But maybe it is starting their own business or doing a gap year or going to a community college or, or doing something like Wayfinding Academy or going to a trade school and becoming an apprentice carpenter or something like that. So I feel like just having that conversation, having that expectation of that conversation change in those teen years, I think would make a huge difference. And we'd have more people living purpose-driven lives and living in accordance with their values and thus would make our whole community better. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that like this idea that you have to know, you have to choose very young that you're going to be a nurse, a firefighter, a doctor. <laughs> like you have to choose, like your parents tell you, okay, you have a list of things that you need to choose from. You're going to go to college for this list of things, whether you like it or not, because you need to make money and support yourself or whatever. And I think that like, it's kind of exciting to see um, how each generation is slowly dismantling this. Right. Not to say it is a bad thing to be a doctor or a nurse or a firefighter or anything. If you know that's absolutely what you want to do, great. But if you don't, and like for me, I had like too many interests. So mm -hmm. being able to really parse through that and determine like, yeah, what does make the most sense for me? And, and where can I dabble without like ending up with a huge amount of debt that I'm going to be saddled with later in life? Yeah. Which I, I laugh. Have. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Uh, I yeah. laugh because um, in the classroom that I'm sitting in, I um, written up on the whiteboard from a few weeks ago. Uh, I guess the class, the Good Life students were uh, brainstorming. They don't call it that. I forget what they call it. Um, ideas for one of the graduates. So Gabe is uh, one of the folks who's going to graduate in about a month. And I see at the top of this board that he has identified himself as a rogue tinkerer. And there have nice. got to be 50 different ideas of things he could do with that. Like he could do public art or philosophy or pyrotechnics or stagecraft or be a jeweler or fashion design or environmental solutions or a brewer or a toy maker, a, a linguist, robotics. They have all these different ideas because I think a, a lot of times students, they know what they're interested in. Gabe can say, and I've known Gabe for three years and I could say this about Gabe, he's a rogue tinkerer. He's really interested in science and engineering and he's got a background in that. He's in his mid to late twenties. He started an engineering program in college and there was a reason he did that and there was a reason he didn't persist with it because of the toxicity of the higher education system for him. And, but that's still where his, his core interests lie. So, but he probably, until this activity that they did, didn't think, oh, you know, I probably could do puppetry with that interest or whatever. And then they, it looks like they've circled a few things that they've narrowed in on so that as Gabe is thinking about what he wants to do as his next steps, he can think, okay, I'm going to focus on these. It looks like there's about 10 things circled. Like I'm going to focus on these 10 things and I'm going to see what kind of entry level position I can get during that. Or you know, this also is helpful for students when they're designing internships. They can say, okay, could I get an internship in stagecraft? And then we would say, oh yeah, we actually have several connections who do stagecraft here in Portland. We could connect you with them. So Which, yeah, there's so many options out in the world, so many that we don't even think about. 
There are, there are. And that's why like having the dual internship, that's so important because then they get a chance to dabble. They get a chance to kind of figure things out. Um, and uh, what else came to mind when you were saying that? I just, oh, the idea of like, you're not competing with your fellow students. I love right. this idea. Like where your students are actually like your, your colleagues, your cohort, they are working with you oh, to yeah. help you succeed. And so it's like that changes so radically like from traditional schooling on certain tracks where you have to be the one with the high GPA, you have to be the one, you have to beat people out to get the internship, to get to the next step. It's just a game of, of whatever of, yeah. I, I just we, we love go, this. Yeah. Yeah. We go extreme on that. I mean, their cohort, they know each other extraordinarily well. And I, I think a lot of things on that list came from Gabe's cohort mates who said, oh, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea, based on what we know of you, Gabe, for the last two years. Um, so we go extreme on that. But I think any college, any college could immediately make a change by removing grades. If they remove grades and GPA, a whole lot of that competition goes away and you're left with a really solid foundation to build a collaborative model. Mm -hmm. All they have to do is remove grades and GPA. And and that seemed like an obvious one for me. Like as a faculty member, I removed those from my classes years ago, like a decade ago. And I never went back. I, I always taught at colleges that required me as the faculty member to like pick a grade from a drop down menu at the end. So I turned that power over to the students in every class. And I said, how would you like your final grade determined? And sometimes they would say, let's, let's do it for each other. Sometimes they'd choose to do their own, whatever. Um, but they all had yeah. all the power of what to do with it. And then when, we, when I started wayfinding, I didn't even consider having grades. There's no, like, there was no moment of consideration for that. And instead, what students get is a narrative evaluation. So every, every term, their guide writes one about them. And every class they take, their faculty members write. And it's, I just put together a transcript for one of our students who's transferring on to a four-year college after this. And her narrative transcript, I think it's something like 20 pages long. But it's these deep, thoughtful paragraphs from all of the people who have gotten to know her and have witnessed her growth over two years. And they talk about her strengths and they talk about her areas of improvement and they talk about what they've seen in her. And there's the richness there is so amazing. And then she's, she's an amazing human. So she went through it and she looked for themes that jumped out at like, so that she could create her own narrative, which when they get their transcripts, they author the, the, information that goes on their transcript, they create it. They give themselves a title, they write their own narrative, they choose which portfolio items they would like highlighted for them. So when she was doing that work, she went through her narrative transcript to look for the themes that other people had seen in her. And it, it's just such a neat process to watch. That's, and, and how much more valuable is that than just a grade? Right, <laughs> a lot more valuable. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You feel seen as a human being, like as a whole person and you can show up in all of your complexity, whatever that involves. And also, and also you realize when you don't show up, right? Like if yes. you don't put that effort in, if you're not coming to the table and being present and being like an active participant in your education, that's right. going to reflect and you're going to see that pretty, yeah. pretty clearly. You so. can't just be like, well, in three weeks when we have the midterm, I'll show up and take a test and do fine. And then, you know, it's, there's a level of being human with each other and a level of personal accountability and responsibility that comes with that too. That's so amazing. Well, I wanted to ask um, one more thing. Um, so, you know, first of all, uh, creating a, a college, going through this whole process, um, first, that just sounds so daunting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am sure you probably had moments along the way where you doubted or you really struggled with like continuing, like you wondered, am I, should I really be doing this? <laughs> um, do you have any of those that kind of stand out? And like, I guess what I'm looking for is like, how did you get, how did you keep going? Like what, what kept you going? Yeah. Uh, the thing that keeps me going and I still have those moments now, uh, especially I'd say in the last few months, because they're just such big global issues that we're all dealing with. And um, trying, I think, I think to some extent, every one of us who's paying attention has paused and thought, wait, what am I doing with my life? And if this is the reality we're now living in, am I doing enough? Am I doing what matters? 
Uh, am I doing what I want to keep doing? And some people have changed because of that. And that is fantastic. Um, it's too bad it took a global pandemic and the largest civil rights movement that we've ever seen in our history uh, to make people pause. But I'm glad that that is happening. I think it's a really positive outcome of this. Mm -hmm. um, and so in, in my case, I paused and asked those questions and answered, yes, th this is important work. This needs to keep going. And we now need to layer on um, we've always been a fairly anti-racist college. We, by our natural structure without grades and we don't have SATs for admissions and we see people as whole humans. We don't, you know, worship the written word. People can do projects in, in video form or spoken form or whatever. Um, we had a lot of foundational things that are not, that are not racist in nature, not based on white supremacy culture. Um, which is helpful, but now we have to layer on dismantling systemic racism throughout higher education. So I've had to lean into that in a new way. And the thing that always has kept me going is, has been the students and thinking, well, if this didn't exist, where would these amazing humans who are here and have chosen to be here, where would they be instead? And then the next level of that is the same for my faculty and my staff and my guides. They have searched for, in some cases, the vast majority of their career for purpose-driven work that they felt mattered or a way that they could show up as their whole selves, as an educator, as a teacher, as a guide, as a, my, my admissions person, you know, whoever, um, as my fundraiser, whatever it is. And they also have that sense of gratitude for being able to be part of this. Um, and I say that knowing that that for me has been one of the hardest transitions to make. I started wayfinding with an amazing team of people, all of whom I knew prior to wayfinding through other aspects of my life. And so I hired my friends when I first set out to do this um, and because they were the ones I'd known long enough and I knew I could count on and we didn't know what we were doing and we were like all okay with that and we were all willing to figure it out as we went. Um, and within the first two years of wayfinding, they one by one all transitioned to their next stage of life, which, you know, we all knew going into it that that's what was going to happen. And, you know, they now live in France and Colorado and Denmark and Idaho, and they've moved all over the world. And it's wonderful. And they're all still involved and they're all still in touch. But there were moments then that I thought, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this without so-and-so? Or, and then once they all left, once the last one left, I just was a mess. And, and it took me a lot of intentional focus uh, and energy to rebuild a team. And the team I have now is better, is better than the team I had then because they are experts in what they do and they know what they're doing. We now have a model and they can all plug in right where they're of most value. Um, and that took a while. But that transition had to be hard from what it you was knew hard. and you trusted and you like, and then to, to have this unknown. Yeah, like, it was very unknown. And it was worth it. Like where we are right now, we, I needed, those, I needed these, these new people and their new ideas and their new connections. And it's fantastic. But that was very, very hard, you know, because you're, you're losing this business partner type of relationship, but also this friend with whom you've built something that nobody's ever built before. And those transitions were heart-wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I think that's a really good call to arms for people to uh, embrace change. Change is hard. It doesn't mean it's not scary and hard, terrifying, and all of the things. But it allows for the space for new, and new can be better. New can be amazing. Uh, unknown yeah. can be fabulous like it could be a cliff or it could be you could be end up soaring you know i mean like you you don't yeah. know so you might as well no. just jump <laughs> we, we have a we have a line in our creed that says um the future is uncertain that's good and sometimes it feels really hard to remember the that's good part of that line sure uh, especially right now it's, i mean i think we all feel a little bit of like horrified and hopeful at the same time um but it, it is, the, the, the future has to be better than the past was in all of these small ways, but in all of these large ways. And I think knowing that the future is uncertain and we get to, we get to shape what that looks like, I think is good. And we just have to, yeah, leap and take that and do, do what we can. Absolutely. 
Um, I could go off on a whole tangent of uh, how we uh, write our own, the power to write our own narratives and how we understand um, how important it is to disseminate the information that's being given to us and how to really understand what's going on. That, that, those are some of the most difficult things right now with like, that I think in like just my growing up from like not having internet in grade school to like you literally, you have so much information and trying to weed through and Mm -hmm. find truth and figure out what's going on um, and get through people's agendas and all of that. It's very daunting. So I think that the more that we can focus our education and educating young students to look for these things, to talk about things, discuss it, cultivate, look at the, the larger, um, like see, see the big view rather than just see the one little pinpoint. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, context is everything, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I did get some quotes from your TED talk anyway of what you said, which I love. Like one of these is, um, there's more than one way to do life and one definition of success is not enough. I love that. Um, we find the freedom to choose when we quiet the voices of others' expectations, which is, Mm -hmm. that is so important. Um, and the last one I wrote down was when we each live life on purpose, we can all thrive, which that is kind of the creed of flipping dreams. The idea that like, Mm -hmm. it's never too late to transform your past and move into your future. And the happier people are more purposeful and more driven, it helps everyone. Like, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I think that that is the core at everything that I have done. When I now look back, it took me a while to get to that point. But when I look back, everything I've ever done has been based in that belief that the more people we have living purpose-driven lives, the better we all are for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just getting through, getting through this really negative, narrow-minded focused culture of that there's only one solution and there's only one success story and mm-hmm. there's just, and failure's horrible and all these just rewriting all of that and helping people to challenge and to really achieve like where they want to be in their lives, to live their best lives, no matter what yeah. it is, which, yeah, that's, that's my goal selfishly, because I want more people at the table having awesome discussions and being happy with their lives. So. Yeah, absolutely. So do I. <laughs> what was that? Alan Alda, he had a quote. It was like, um, I'm loosely quoting because I can't remember it fully, but it was something like, generally people who are laughing aren't, aren't killing each other. So the idea. Oh, that, I don't think I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah. The idea yeah. that like, if you're joyful, you're probably not going to be, you know, hurting someone else. So yeah. yeah. And you won't feel like you're in competition with them, right? You're, you can be collaborative with them and you, you are happy and you want them to be happy too. And you're going to try to help get that. Yeah. 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 I love that. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I definitely am going to look at your luminary program. Oh uh, yeah, please. Yeah. Please do. I can, yeah. I'll send you a link for that specifically. Please we, do. We only have, well, and you know him, he's, he's who introduced us. We only have one luminary in Alabama. So we would okay, like good. another one. Good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you, and if anybody, you know, um, you think would be a good fit for wayfinding, um, I guess either one, either for our two year program or for the life finding program for the, for folks in later st- stages of life. Um, we have all of the information for all of that on our website. Absolutely. And I will share all of that in the show notes. This will be on YouTube and podcast through all of the places that the podcast can go. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to promote this. And I hope that this is a seed that planted in Portland, but gets to grow at like a vine um, that can't be uprooted, that just yeah. keeps going out through through, you know, not just our country, but you may be global eventually. So yeah, we do have, we have a luminary who's in London and he keeps trying to get me to come over there and start a wayfinding over there. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all you do. Um, you're an inspiration to talk to and just a reminder of how important it is to have people that care and that are just focused on making change for the good. Um, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. I, I mean, I think this, having these conversations and keeping this as part of our day-to-day experience is absolutely important. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great time, a uh, great evening. And um, hopefully...
we'll catch up again and I'll get to uh, hear what's happened. And, yeah. and if I get to Portland, um, if I ever, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to visit family, uh, but of course, you know, COVID. So right. whenever I can actually cross the border, uh, yeah. I will look you up. So maybe we can grab coffee sometime. Oh, absolutely. That would be wonderful. I'd love to show you our space yeah, too. That'd be yeah. great. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Heather. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flipping Dreams with Michelle Jones. I hope that it inspired you to be more curious and to seek out other ways to do it. As always, please subscribe. Please send this to friends and family, strangers on the street. Share the love because when we all succeed, it makes our world a better place. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you back here next week on Flipping Dreams.